The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Rock, paper, scissors. It's a great way of settling a decision. If you can't decide where to eat, what movie to watch, where to go on holiday, just play a game of rock, paper, scissors. It's random, after all. Of course it is. If two computers played rock, paper, scissors against one another a few hundred times, you'd see computer A winning 50% of the time and computer B winning the other 50% of the time. The winner is determined randomly, so that's what you'd expect. But humans aren't computers. We fall for biases, biases that computers aren't affected by. These biases mean those rock-paper-scissors games aren't quite as random as we think. And if you want to win consistently, then there are some reliable strategies you can follow. Hi folks, I'm Phil Agnew and you're listening to Nudge, the podcast that reveals the science behind great marketing. Today I'm talking about habits. We'll cover why habits form, why they're important to marketers, and how you can improve your marketing with knowledge about habits. But first you'll learn why rock-paper-scissors isn't quite as random as we think. A group of Chinese scientists researched rock-paper-scissors between 2010 to 2014. They got 360 students to play rock-paper-scissors with one another 300 times. That's a lot of rock-paper-scissor games. And by the end of it, they had some really interesting findings. Turns out that students who won a game of rock-paper-scissors would be very likely to repeat whatever hand they just won with. So let's say one student, let's call her Sarah, plays paper, and she beats her opponent's rock. Well, because Sarah's just won with paper as her hand, she'll be more likely to play paper again. This means if you're playing best of three in rock, paper, scissors, and your opponent wins the first round, you should pick the hand that would have beaten their first hand. So if you were playing Sarah, you should play scissors in your second go as she played paper first and she'll be more likely to play it again. But why does this work? How did these Chinese scientists understand this and, and find this? And, and why does it affect humans? Why are humans more likely to play the same hand twice? Why don't we pick randomly like a computer? Well, it's down to habits. Over thousands of years, we have developed habits to help us make sense of the world and become more efficient. In one of the earlier episodes of Nudge, Richard Schotten, a behaviour scientist and author, explained to me why us humans have such a tendency to develop habits. So, so the, the area of particular interest in habit, I think there's a lot of work um, around how much of our behaviour is habitual. The underlying reason being there's so many decisions to make in life, not just commercial ones, but just navigating our way around the world, um, getting through from day to day. There are so many decisions. It would be mind-bogglingly time-consuming if we weighed up every single one of them. 
it's often a simpler thing to do is just default to well what did i do last time we've developed habits to make quick fire decision making possible Without habits, we'd struggle to deal with the complexity of life. We'd have endless decisions to make, from what to pick off a menu, to whether or not to play paper in your rock-paper-scissors game. But the question today isn't why habits form. No, we want to know how habits form, and if marketing tactics could be improved by prompting habits. So let's start with the first question. How do habits form? Now, there's lots of literature on this, but all the experts, folks like Katie Milkman, Wendy Wood and James Clear, they all tend to follow a similar habit loop. Essentially, habits form by following three steps. The first step is the cue. The second, the reward. And finally, repetition. Cue, reward, repetition. The cue triggers the behaviour. The reward reinforces that the behaviour is a good idea. And the repetition, well, that builds the habit. Now, this can happen over a small period of time, like during a game of rock, paper, scissors, or over decades, like habitually biting your nails. What's interesting, though, is small tweaks to each section of the habit loop can drastically change how sticky that habit is. Let's say you're trying to make regular exercise a habit. Well, tweaking your cue could make you far more likely to stick with that habit. In fact, it could make you three times more likely to work out. Sarah Mill at the University of Bath recruited 228 participants for her study on habitual cues. She split participants into three groups. The first group was given a leaflet explaining the benefits of exercise. The second group was asked to write down when and where they would exercise next week. And the third group, the control, they were given nothing. Sarah followed up a week later to see how many of the people in this group actually exercised the following week. In the control group, 35% of people exercised. The group who received a leaflet on the benefits, well, they didn't do much better. Only 38% of them exercised. But those who were asked to write down when and where they would exercise were far more likely to exercise. 91% of them exercised the following week. That's a three times increase compared to the control. Simply asking someone how and when they'll do something provides a cue to trigger the behaviour. The same technique has been shown to boost election day voting and reduce dentist appointment no-shows. But can it be used in marketing? Well, yes, apparently it can, at least according to one paper from a few years back. This IPA paper looked at a fire safety advertisement from 2014. The team behind it knew the power of habitual cues. So rather than just telling people to test their fire alarm, they linked it with a memorable cue. They said, test your fire alarm when the clocks change. This capitalised on existing behaviour. They knew that people would change their clocks twice a year, and they might even have the stepladder out to change their clocks. So the hypothesis was that that would be a good cue to encourage also testing the fire alarm. Now, clear evidence on how many people followed this advice, that's hard to come by. But over the period when the campaign ran, deaths from fires in dwellings fell by 41 people down to 211 from 252 the following year. And I think that highlights the power of cue-based marketing. Now let's move on to the next stage of the habit loop. This is rewards. 
Rewards reinforce a habit. You'll keep doing something if it brings you rewards. It's why rock, paper, scissors players repeat the hand that previously won. But as many nudge listeners will know, rewards are even more powerful when they're variable. What do I mean by variable? Well, basically unpredictable rewards, rewards that change, they're even more effective at building habits. I've talked about B.F. Skinner's studies with pigeons and variable rewards before on the show, so I won't cover that today. But I will share another study on the power of variable rewards from the researcher Fishbank. In this study, participants were asked to drink two pints of water through a straw in two minutes. Now, this, this is actually apparently quite a difficult task, but it's, it's not impossible if you really try. So Fishbank split the participants into two groups. One group was offered $10 if they finished the two pints. The other group was told, if you finish the pints, I'll flip a coin. If it's heads, you'll get $2. If it's tails, you'll get $1. (laughs) Now, conventional economics suggests that the participants offered $10 should be way more likely to finish the pints. But that's not how humans work. We're drawn in by the allure of variable rewards. Of those offered $10, only 40% completed the task. Of those who were offered the variable reward, well, 70% of them completed the task. Variable rewards triggers motivation and helps form habits. A wonderful example of how you can apply this comes from Stockholm. The team behind this was trying to reduce road speeding in Stockholm. Kevin Richardson, the man who came up with the idea, he thought, What if instead of punishing people for speeding, we rewarded people for following the speed limit? So to test Kevin's idea, the team erected a giant sign next to a major road in Stockholm. It displayed your speed as you went past. That's nothing new. But if your car was going at the speed limit or below, it would light up with a big green thumbs up. Another sign then said, you've been entered into the speed camera lottery. Because you've followed the speed limit, you could win all of the money made from all the speeding tickets. So all the people who were speeding, they would still get fined a speeding ticket, but the money from those tickets, that wouldn't go to the police or the government. No, instead that would go into the lottery and someone who wasn't speeding could win it. So the researchers compared the average speed before and after the sign went up and they found that the sign reduced speeding by 22%. That's the power of variable rewards in action. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. 
Now on to the final part of the habit loop. We've covered cues, we've looked at rewards, the final part is repetition. The more you do a behaviour, the more likely it is to become a habit. Katie Milkman documents this stage of the habit loop in her book, How to Change. She shares a study that attempts to convince more than 100 university students to go to the gym. Obviously, lots of researchers are trying to convince students to go to the gym. And to do so, the researchers in this example would test offering students $175 to hit the gym. But, of course, there was a twist. Half of the students were offered $175 if they visited the gym once in the following month. The other half were also paid the same $175, but only if they visited the gym at least eight times in the following month. Now, unsurprisingly, the students who had to go to the gym eight times to get paid, well, they exercised more than the other group during that initial month. But what's really interesting is what happened after the payments stopped in the months following the experiment. The students who had just finished a month of visiting the gym at least eight times, well, they kept going to the gym much more than the other students who were only incentivized to visit once. Even though neither group was being paid to work out anymore, those who had repeatedly visited the gym eight times, well, they had built a habit and that kept them going. It's a fantastic example of how repetition can build habits. So that's the habit loop. It's cue, it's reward, it's repetition. Now this loop is useful for us to know because it provides tips on how to keep people going to the gym and how to win at rock, paper, scissors. But I still feel there's a missing piece for us marketers. To improve our marketing, we don't just need to influence habits. No, sometimes we need to build habits from scratch. If we're selling a new product or service, we'll need to kickstart habits. But how? Well, let's go back to Katie Milkman and her book, How We Change. See, in her book, she documents something called the fresh start effect. As a marketer, this effect really captured my attention. Katie spotted the effect when researching when people would pursue change, and she discovered something fascinating. She writes, across data set after data set, we found the same patterns. Undergraduates at a campus fitness centre were more likely to visit the gym not only in January, but also earlier in the week, also after school holidays and at the beginning of new semesters and after their birthdays. Similarly, in January or on Mondays or after holiday breaks, we documented an uptick in online goal setting, tracked by Stick, a popular goal setting website. And we documented an uptick in diet searches on Google. We also found that people's birthdays were linked to more goal creation on the site Stick. This analysis produced a remarkably consistent picture of what Katie calls the fresh start effect. On these fresh start dates, people feel distanced from their past failures. They feel a different person with the person of the past and they have reason to be optimistic about the future. Because of this we're all more likely to take on more habits after a fresh start date. In a paper published way back in 1994, two psychologists surveyed more than 200 people who had sought to make a meaningful life change, such as switching careers, ending a personal relationship or starting a diet. Remarkably, they found that 36% of successful attempts took place when people moved home, whereas only 13% of unsuccessful attempts followed a move. 
These statistics suggest that when we're seeking to change, the disruptions to our lives triggered by fresh starts can effectively trigger new habits. Now this is something that Richard Shotton has identified too. Here's a clip from an earlier episode of Nudge where Richard talks through the research he's done on the fresh start effect. So by life events, I mean things like uh, someone gets married, they move house, they start a new job, uh, they get divorced, um, they go to university. What's interesting is it seems that when people undergo these big changes, when their environment is destabilised, that then has a knock-on effect on all their um, purchasing behaviour. So a colleague and I, Laura Weston, we uh, surveyed 2,370 odd people and we asked them two questions, one at the beginning of the survey and one right at the end, so we could uh, you know, put a nice big gap in between them ask other questions so that they were kind of thrown off the scent and that we were after and the first question was look please tick any of these life events you've undergone in the last six months married divorce retired etc and then the last question was and um in these categories tick the, uh, the category where you have switched the main brand you use and we asked in different waves i've asked that different in, in slightly different waves so you know got a new favorite brand tried a new brand and 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 all of them we've seen the the same pattern that people are between two and three times more likely to try a new brand switch uh, brands that have a new favorite if they have just undergone uh, a, a big life event now that becomes interesting because it is not a academic finding it is a very practical uh, easy to apply finding and now we have so much data on consumers it is easy to identify people who have just undergone a life event but that's facebook will have data about your relationship status changing Experian has data on uh, where you live uh, linkedin of course have data on if you've just moved jobs all of these moments are now very easily and, 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 and simply targeted Richard Shotton found that people are 2.5 times more likely to try a new brand after they've undergone a life event. And this finding was consistent across all sorts of categories. People are willing to try new coffee shops, new lager brands, new broadband providers, new mobile phones and even new makeup providers after a life event. But Katie Milkman, the scientist behind the fresh start effect, says you don't even need a major life event to trigger a habit. Another study from her book involved sending postcards to employees to encourage them to start saving. One set of postcards said, start saving now, and another said, start saving at the start of spring. That second message, that little bit of message around the fresh start effect, just saying at the start of spring, that message was 30% more effective at encouraging employees to start saving. Simply alluding to a fresh start is enough to trigger people into action. And this, this study, it really got me thinking. Will the fresh start effect work in marketing? Could simply alluding to a fresh start make my marketing messaging more effective? Well, to answer that, I needed to run my own test. I wanted to see if fresh start messaging could encourage more people to listen to a new podcast. After all, I'm always looking for ways to get people to listen to Nudge, to build a habit out of listening to Nudge every other week, so it made sense for me to test this out. I recruited 100 participants via Google surveys who had declared that they don't listen to podcasts currently, and I created two messages. 
The control message said, would you consider listening to a new podcast in the next few days? And then I had a fresh start variant. And this one said, would you consider listening to a new podcast next Monday? Conventional wisdom sort of suggests that the control message should perform better. It's saying the next few days. That suggests that people have they've got quite a large period of time when they can listen to a new podcast over a couple of days. Saying, will you listen next Monday? That's more precise. I'm asking if someone will listen within a specific 24-hour period. It's, it's a shorter period. So, so with that in mind, the control probably should work better. But it doesn't. The fresh start effect kicks in. After splitting the participants into two groups, showing one the control and one the variant, I had some really compelling results. Only 9.1% of participants who saw the control said they would try a new podcast. But 15.9% of participants who saw the fresh start variant said they'd try a new podcast. That's a 75% increase with just a two-word tweak to the messaging. And sure, this experiment I've run, it isn't peer-reviewed, it isn't foolproof, I'm not a scientist, but I just wanted to test it to see if it works, and I would encourage you to do the same. If you want to have a look at the, the results and the test that I run, I've left a link to it in the show notes. And all of this really proves something to me. It shows that if you want to trigger a habit, fresh start effect messaging, well, it seems to work. If you want someone to listen to a podcast, try a new album, test drive a car, or even switch internet providers, referring to a fresh start should work. At least, it's worth testing. Because habits are powerful, and they dictate our decisions, from the podcasts we love to the way we play rock, paper, scissors. Okay, that is all for today, folks. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, a lot of the content in today's show was inspired by Katie Milkman's book, How to Change. So do go and check that out if you want to learn more about forming habits. I also want to thank Richard Shotton for his contribution. If you want to hear more from from Richard Shotton, you can go back and listen to episode three of Nudge, a very early episode of Nudge. And in that show, Richard walks through other examples of habit-molding marketing. In the show notes, you'll find a link to the experiment I ran on the fresh start effect, so you can go there if you like. And finally, I can't leave without encouraging you to start a habit. Some of you listening to this show won't have subscribed or followed Nudge on your podcast player. If you haven't, you may miss future episodes, and importantly, you won't get that lovely cue to encourage you to listen. And that means you won't build the habit loop with the show. So please do subscribe. I genuinely really appreciate everyone. If you want more tips on behavior science like the ones in today's show, then you can sign up for my newsletter, the link to which is in the show notes. 68 of you signed up last Monday alone, and thank you very much to those that did. So why not start your week right and subscribe to the Nudge newsletter today? A little bit of the fresh start effect there for you as well. All right, that is all from me today. Speak again in a few weeks. Thanks again for listening.